Hello, hello, hello. Notice I had a button undone there. <laughs> My name is Andrew Krause, and I'm one of the co-founders here at Rice. Stephen Keys, our other co-founder. And uh, we've been doing these Monday Q&As for a full hour for quite some time now, and I really enjoy them. You guys ask great questions, and you guys, at least you say you think my answers are great. I don't think you'd just be saying that if you didn't mean it. Um, so I appreciate you guys. You guys appreciate that I'm here to help. And uh, I just want to say a few things before we get started. Um, one, I'm going to spend a whole hour doing Q&A for you guys for free. So the way you can thank me is to make sure to subscribe. Click the little bell next to the subscribe button so you get notified of these live streams and other new videos we do. And uh, then watch our other videos, which are I think are fantastic. I'm the co-founder, so I might be a bit biased, but um, watch other videos and give them a thumbs up and interact. Maybe you want to ask a question under a video, what have you. And uh, the other thing that I'm going to say, which I always forget to do, but I see we already have questions about patents, is anything that I share with you should not be considered legal advice. Please consult your attorney if you're looking for legal advice, Okay. And do not consider what I say to be legal advice. I might give you my opinion, but it is not legal advice. All right, I was really thirsty there. So I had to take care of that so I can answer your questions. All right. Um, the other thing I'm going to say, I put down in the chat there, we have a webinar series. We have one coming up um, on this Thursday on the 10th. So make sure to sign up for that. If you look in the chat, you'll see the link to it where you can sign up. And we're going to be doing that the entire year, one a month for the entire year. So sign up for that. That's free. And um, start typing in your questions. I had a few people um, say, oh, Andrew, you know, I think I think I had, I talked to one of our salespeople and they said that somebody said, well, Andrew didn't get to my questions. I'm like, I can't get to them all, but um, in the, in these live streams. So what I'll say is if you ask your questions sooner rather than later, when people show up 30 minutes in or something, yeah, I might not get to your question, but I usually pretty good at getting to the questions that are early on. So, cause I'm, I'm here to help you guys. So, all right. Uh, Caleb says, Andrew, oh, and can you guys type in yes, that you can hear me? I, I, I know you can, cause somebody would have said something if my mic wasn't working, but you could type in yes, that would be great. Let's see, well, there's a little delay. So I'll take a look at that in a second. Uh, Caleb said, Andrew, my PPA is up in May. I may have interest from a couple of companies, but they told me it's a lengthy review process. Best advice for keeping my idea protected. Um, and Caleb says, I'm worried about the PPA will expire before I get confirmation. Okay, I got a bunch of yeses, so I know you guys can hear me. Um, so again, what I'm sharing is not legal advice. And Caleb, providing you have not made public disclosure. You haven't put it up on a website or sold it at a swap meet and you're just privately showing this to people for potential licensing. Um, what we teach our students, I'm not telling you what to do, but what I'm saying what we teach our students is you could just file that provisional again. If a patent attorney did it for you, you could take that yourself and pay the patent office filing fee of 75 bucks and you'll get another year. Now it won't continue your year from the original date. If you filed it today, you get a year from today. I have never seen that to be an issue with our students. It's never caused a problem. Um, and this, this perception you need continual protection all the time. And if they don't get back to you before your PPA runs out, sometimes patent attorneys will take advantage of you there and they'll go, oh yeah, if you want to preserve your filing rights, you need to give me 10 grand for a patent. 
And they didn't tell you that if you hadn't made public disclosure, you can file the provisional again, and you'll get a year from the new provisional date, not from the old one. It's that the old one doesn't, didn't even exist. But what you've done, Caleb, is you've created a paper trail with them. So you're showing you're the first true inventor who created that paper trail. I've never seen one of our students get knocked off by a company where they've created a paper trail and filed a PP. I don't care if you filed another one to get a new date. I wouldn't worry about it. Now, that's not legal advice, but I've never seen that advice bite one of our students in the butt. Could it one day? Yeah. Is it worth spending $10,000 on a patent? Hell no, in my opinion. I would never take that risk. Um, so that's that's your answer. You probably didn't expect such a thorough answer, but that's it. Um, let's see. Thoughtful Jones said, and you guys can type your first name or I can read your handle, whatever works for you. Hi, I had contact with a company that expressed interest in my product idea. I haven't heard anything back since November. Well, why, why would you? Um, I mean, you need to follow up. Uh, followed up in December and now I have a product and a sell sheet. How would you follow up now? So I would follow up. I don't know if you had sent your sell sheet before or not, or you said you got interest. Well, what did you show if you didn't send a sell sheet before and you only have it now? Um, but I would send the sell sheet and I would say you expressed some interest in my product and could we set up a time to talk about it? So whenever you get interest from a company, you want to talk to them on the phone, no endless back and forth via email. Now you need to know what to say on those calls and it depends on what else has transpired before that, but we guide our students on that. Our coaches and our negotiation coach, Paul, guides our students on how to handle those things. And so if I had the specifics on what you sent before, sometimes I get people that say, I have a company that's interested. When I ask them with more details, these aren't our students, these are non-invent rights students, they didn't get a company interested. The company just said, yeah, you can send it to me, but they hadn't seen it yet. I'm like, how would you define that as the company being interested? They're interested in seeing what you have, but they didn't show interest in your product. I'm not saying that's what you, what happened with you. I'm just saying I see that. And it's, it's very important when you're reaching out to companies or even asking questions of me that you spend the time to be as articulate as possible. Sometimes we do these Q and A's and I'll read a few sentences, like three or four sentences. And I'm like, this person even proofread this, you know? And so you want to do the same thing when you send to companies. You want to be very thoughtful and articulate. And hey, if you didn't finish high school or college or whatever, and you're not that great at writing, you got somebody in your family you can check. Hey, get Grammarly if you need to, that program that will check your grammar and your spelling and even give you suggestions for how to phrase it properly. But that's very important, okay? You don't need to come across as a captain of industry, but it looks like you sent a half-assed email that is poor English. And we have students that are in other countries where English is their second language, and they do a great job. So they either utilize a friend or use Grammarly to make sure your grammar is correct. Um, that was just a random thought. Okay. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Thoughtful Jones said the product idea is in the same category. I don't know if you have a new idea. Just send, whenever you reply to a company, never say, I got an email like this. Andrew, did you get my email? I'm like, now you're going to make me search your email address and look at all, your, if I find an email, you're wasting my time. Whenever you resend this something to somebody, always resend it so they can see the email thread before. If they'd replied before saying this is interesting, 
forward that reply, attach your new sell sheet if you have a new one, and and then just say following up, can we set up a time to talk? You showed some interest in this product. When would be good for you? You know. Um, so, and I know some of this is common sense, but I see God knows how many inventors not using common sense when it comes to communicating with companies and, and others as well. So um, never hurts to say it. Um, uh, Deidre, hi, Andrew. Thank you for all of your professional advice. Um, Andrew, what exactly does launch mean? I tried to find the meaning of it in your book, One Simple Idea, but I didn't get clarification. So it sounds like Deidre read our book, One Simple Idea, which is a great book. If you're going to read one of our books, read One Simple Idea by Stephen Key, my business partner. We did that together. And um, and, and that's going to help you get up and running. But I don't know what you mean by launch. What does launch mean? If you could further clarify and type in, I'll jump down to the bottom of the chat periodically to see for your answer. But I don't know what you mean. Where did you hear, hear the word launch? And why are you concerned? I think they, I don't know what that means. You know, when you launch a product and you're selling it yourself, that's called launching a product. Or when a company launches your product, that means that they're basically getting it into the marketplace. They're making it public. That's the only thing I can think of. But if you could clarify, I'd be happy to answer your question. Um, Richard said, well, your coaches help me narrow down my ideas to the best one, or if needed, tell me my ideas aren't good. Um, think and think of some new ones or is this part of the process of research before i get into the program with a coach no i don't find most inventors are very good at that um if you got five ideas a coach can definitely help you go over them but it's not like they're not giving you their knee-jerk reaction so let's say you have five ideas it's highly unlikely that we have a new student that's thoroughly researched five ideas or three ideas so, you know, the coach will look at whatever research you've done and they might say, well, for these two out of five, you're giving me enough info. I think this one would be easy to work on, but kind of hard in this respect. And this one over here, I think would be a little easier because of this and this. But they might say, but these other three, I don't have enough info. This is the info I want you to go out and find. It's usually pretty simple stuff to find other products in the space. Then let's come back together and let's, they will give you their opinion based on facts, based on the marketplace. It's not, do they like your idea or they just have like some sort of like magic brain that they could be knowledgeable about every product in every category. They're knowledgeable about what you need to do to go out and find so you can give them that information. They can help you analyze those. And I love it when students do that because it's great for a coach to say, okay, here's the upsides and downsides of number one. Number two, number three, number four, upsides and downsides and number five. And based on, you know, what we know about these products, number three would be a great first project to work on. And then they go down the line. Then they go, well, this one would be a great second one, but there's a few things you need to work out. This one's a little bit more work. You know, that number five, that's just a mess. You know, you're probably better off not working on that, maybe coming up with a new one as opposed to working on that one. So absolutely, that's a skill we can teach you. And and most inventors aren't capable until we train you of doing a good job of that on their own. There's very specific criteria when you're licensing. And the only way you can learn that process, I can't give you generics. You got to look at the products and then hear the coach talking about why one is harder than another. And you get in the weeds of it. But they can't even do that until the research is done. But 
quite often inventors don't know what research you need to do. And for different products, it's kind of different. So they can tell you what you need to come back with in order to make a decision. But if you already have some research done, and sometimes they can give you an opinion before that as well. Um, but it's not their personal opinion or whether they personally like it. That's garbage. That's not a good coach. A good, if, a good, if a coach wants to tell you, I would personally buy this, but that means nothing. What does the market want? What other products are in that space or that micro category? And what are the benefits of them? And how are they marketing it? And what's your point of difference and all that stuff? That's what you need to get into. Um, uh, Kira said, hello, Andrew, uh, from Aruba. Cool. Um, I was just talking to a gentleman that was in Thailand. He's an American from Idaho. He lived in China for 10 years and now he's in Thailand. So we have students all over the place. Um, hello, Andrew from Aruba. This is from Kira. Thank you and invent right for all the free and valuable information. I have an improvement on a product and there are three leading companies on the market. Should I approach all three of them? Um, yes, you should approach all three of them, but you're most likely making a mistake. Um, almost never do I see one of our students that have a product that's only for three companies. I always say this. I say, if you have two or three companies, you have two or three chances for success. If you have 20 or 30, you have 20 or 30 chances for success. And people are like, no, no, these are the companies. And I look and almost every time I look at it, I'm like, you have 30 easy here. Here's the way you need to think about it. Here's how you're going to expand your list. People tend to go with the ones right in front of their face that they're super familiar with, but there's plenty of other companies that are really big and have distribution in stores, and they don't have to be making the exact same thing. And now your list is 30. So yes, I would approach all three of them. Hell yeah. But I would also, if you think that approaching the three that you have, you're done, that's rookie hour. You need to make a list of 20 or 30. Now, there are projects, I'll, I'll admit, where it's like, okay, there isn't 30 companies on this one. Even if we expand it out, there's only 12 or 15. There are some of those. But there's always more than three. And if you only have three and you do use our techniques to make your list bigger and a coach is guiding you and you still only have three, you should have thought about working on that project. You probably shouldn't have worked on it to begin with because I don't like those numbers. I don't like it that there's only three companies you can license to. But 99 times out of 100, that is not the case that the inventor thinks it is. When I look at it, it's totally not the case. So don't freak out. I bet you have a bunch of other companies, but you got to expand your list. So thank you. Um, that was from Kira. Thank you, Kira. Sorry, I'm paging up and down too quickly and you're getting lost. Um, Shane said, hi, Andrew. Uh, is there ever a situation where it is beneficial to submit a PPA on IP, IP is short for intellectual property, so he's being fancy there, that's cool, that your attorney deems not patentable um, or borderline public domain. Okay, so is he saying, does it make sense to get a PPA on a product that your patent attorney is like, I really don't think, or it's gonna be pretty weak? Absolutely, our students do it all the time and I highly advise you to do that. So what it does is by filing a $75 provisional, the patent office doesn't look at a PPA. It's automatically granted because they're not reviewing it. They're not analyzing it. If you pay your patent office fee and you include your contact information and you pay the fee, you get it every time. You could scribble on a piece of paper with a crayon. They'll give it to you. OK, so you can always get patent pending status because legally with a provisional, you can say patent pending. 
You don't have to say provisional patent pending. So it creates an aura of professionalism. So for 75 bucks, especially when you're new to it, and even when you're a pro, most of the time it definitely makes sense to always file a provisional, even on a product that you don't think is patentable or is gonna have weak protection. It just puts them on notice and they can't see what you have or don't have. So they don't know, like they can't look at it and go, oh no, what he's trying to claim is not gonna work. They can't see it. So it keeps honest companies honest. I would always file a provisional patent, even if you're fairly certain you can't get a patent on it, or if your attorney is assured it's, it's weak. And you don't have to have a patent attorney file it. You can file it yourself. You don't wanna go spend 800 or $2,500 on a provisional with a patent attorney. Every time you have an idea, file it yourself. You can do that for 75 bucks. We give our students software to do that. So if you want to become a student, we can help you with that. Um, uh, Ethan said, hi, Andrew. Can you talk a little bit more about the new webinar series? Yeah, if you page up in the chat, you'll see a link to that and you sign up for that. And we are going through all 10 steps in the invent right process. If you read One Simple Idea or a book, you can type in One Simple Idea into Amazon. And if you read that book, we give our 10 steps up, you know, now most people really need the additional guidance of a coach, but in this webinar series, we're going to be going into all 10 steps over, over a year. Um, and we're going to be doing step number one this Thursday. So that's what we're going to be doing, Ethan. And it's going to be great. It's going to be really, really good. Um, and as you guys know, we're all about giving it up. We don't tease people or any of that stuff. Um, let's see. No, no name here. Um, Emperor, Emperor Ur King. Okay. <laughs> Is their handle? Hey, Andrew, I'm in the process of prototyping. How do I find the perfect company that deals with silicone? My advice would not be to do that. So why did you assume you needed to hire a prototyper to make a silicone product? How'd you come to that conclusion? And I asked inventors this time, they're like, well, I don't know, it made sense. Anybody give you that advice? Maybe have they ever licensed a product before? So we get students all the time that license products just with the virtual prototype that we do for them and a sell sheet. You don't need to make a prototype in order to license a product, okay? And so to go out and spend, you know, two, three, four, five grand to make a prototype, if you can just do a virtual prototype and you can see there's products out there and you know it can be made, but you're having a hard time making it yourself. Now, if you're really great at prototyping and you could just, let's say it's a pot holder or something, you buy a silicone pot holder and you cut it into different shape or something, it's a random thought, you can make your own prototype. That's great, but a lot of times you can't do that. And so a virtual prototype is fine. And when they ask you how it's done, you go, well, there's that and that, and I just change this. And they're like, oh, okay. They give us enough info to get some quotes over in Asia to make sure we can make this at a reasonable price. So you're under the misperception that you need a prototype. And I'm telling you, you don't. Now, when our students do virtual prototypes, sometimes they'll cobble together something with, um, with duct tape or cannibalize something. It looks terrible, but it kind of works or falls apart after a couple of times. That's fine too. Maybe even do a video, maybe even show them that because they see your beautiful virtual prototype. And then they see you do a video where it's kind of at a distance but you, let's say it's a dog toy and you see the dog playing with it, the dog going crazy over it. And yeah, they can see it might be a little bit more crude. Maybe they can't so much from a distance and that's fine. So I can't, Emperor is your handle. I can't tell you, you I don't know your product. So I might look at it and go, oh no, you should do a prototype. But I can tell you nine and a half times out of 10, you don't need that and you just thought you needed it. And people love 
to delay reaching out to companies. If you're spending money with a patent attorney, okay, it's on them because you feel good. I gave 10 grand to a patent attorney. So I'm, I'm, things are happening. Things are moving forward. I gave five grand to a prototyper. Things are moving forward. And you're just kind of kicking back and doing BS. That's just BS. You don't need to do that. You don't need to spend that kind of money. And imagine if you spend 10 grand on a, on a, on a patent and five grand on a prototype. And if with every idea you come up with, your spouse or yourself or somebody in your family going, you're not going to keep doing that. But if you spend 75 bucks on a provisional, a few bucks on a virtual prototype and a sell sheet, you can do this forever. So Emperor, I'm not telling you don't do a prototype because I don't know what your product is because you don't have a coach. But I'm telling you, most of the time, you don't need it. It's probably not the the um, the the response that you thought you'd get. Okay, so let's see. Paged up too quick here. Um, no name, but man, man of God or Rob. Okay, it says Rob. Um, uh, it says I have an idea that would help us all. Where? Well, first of all, no, you're incorrect, Rob. No idea on the face of the planet helps us all. There is no product on the face of the planet that we'll all want. So it's fine if you say it here. We're all friends here. Never say to a company, this is something everybody will want. Or um, if we only get 2% of the market, this is another rookie move. If we only get 2% of the market, we'll both be rich or crap like that. So um, no, your product is not a product uh, that will help us all. It's not. I don't care if it's toilet paper. It still won't help us all. Um, so because some people use bidets and they don't use toilet paper or whatever. You get the point. I'm, I'm just using you as an example. I don't know what your product is. but um, So I have an idea that would help us all. Where do I start? I have 2,000 if that means anything. So um, if you have, so basically you're going to want to license your product. You're not going to start a business and sell a product yourself with $2,000. No way, no how. Um, so what I would do is study the marketplace, look at all the other products in the space of your invention, figure out if the product makes sense. Most inventors do not study the marketplace. On that webinar we're going to do on Thursday, I'm going to be showing you how to use Google Images and uh, Google Shopping and Amazon to study all the other products in the space of your invention. So, and your goal when you're doing this research is not to prove there's nothing like your product. Going into your research, going to prove everything else sucks and yours is better is a wrong mindset. You want to acknowledge these other products are kind of on the same shelf or same aisle as your product would be, or kind of in the same space. You want to acknowledge all those things and go, how does my product fit in? Do I need to make some changes? That's the first thing you need to do. Then you'll need to make a sell sheet. Um, you know, if you were with us, we'd have you do a virtual prototype. Then you got to make your list of companies and, and do all that. Now, our program is, even though you're paying it over six months, is uh, $3,500 for one-on-one -on -one coaching for half a year. Includes a bunch of other stuff, too. Our academy program is less than that. Um, it's under two grand. So, but, so you might consider academy. But if you're going on your own, $2,000 is enough to, to, to work on a product without a doubt. And if it's not, you're not doing it right. Now, I'm not saying there's not products where you have to spend more money on that. But if you're using the true invent right approach for most simple projects, you will not, it will not cost you more than that. But I would watch our webinar series, go into the chat and see my link I put in there and sign up for that. And it's going to show you how to get started on step number one. And all of y'all, all y'all, I'm not from the South, but I joke about it. My stepmother's from Louisiana. And so all y'all need to go in there and register for that um, and, and really learn how to do step number one right. 
Okay. And that's this Thursday. Um, let's see what else we got here. William said, I have a potential licensee that wants me to show it personally, which I'm happy to do since it's close by. There's a good chance that they'll want to do the product. Um, should I leave the prototype with them? Uh, I dispensed with the sell sheet idea on this one. Instead, we did a package design. Yeah, if you did a package design that can almost be like a sell sheet in some ways, that's unusual, but I think that might work. So um, in-person meetings are, I'm not going to say never do them, but, you know, why do you need to do an in-person meeting? If they wanted that and you're up for that and they're like 20 miles away, okay. But the right people will never be in the room. Licensing is like an email, a phone call or a Zoom meeting, five more emails, another phone call or a Zoom meeting, and it's over a period of months. Um, if you want to go there, that's fine. Uh, I consider it a waste of time, um, but you can do that. And so what is your question? There's a good chance to want to do the product. Yeah. You want to do all the same stuff. You do want a first meeting. You want to establish rapport. You want to get them talking about the product. The fact that they're willing to meet with you in person and spend 15 minutes with you is great. And if you want to do that in person, it's perfectly fine. I think for most inventors, it's not a right match. I'd rather do it on Zoom or the phone. But if it's close by, I don't see any harm in it. Um, next time, I would create a sell sheet rather than a package design. But package design is almost like a sell sheet. So that's fine. So I would go ahead and meet with them. I would go for it. But um, you should really talk to somebody that's done licensing deals before to guide you on what to say on those calls. I mean, sorry. And they're so you not used to doing in-person meetings. But um to what to say there. You are not, this is what I'll say what not to do. This by no means, I don't carry meeting with a person. There's no way, hell or high water, that you're going there to do a deal. That's not what you're going there to do. You're going there to establish rapport, get them talking about the product and look them in the eye to see if they really like the product and talk about the product, okay? You are not trying to close a deal at this in-person meeting. If you're trying to do that, you've been watching too much of that silly show Shark Tank. That's not how business is done. That's not how licensing deals are done. So that's my advice to you. You do you follow that advice, you'll be just fine. I think it's perfectly fine. You're going to meet with them. Providing you're not a little off. I don't know you, William, but some inventors are off enough where it's better not to do an in-person meeting. Some. And they're brilliant and they come up with great ideas, but they just don't know how to conduct themselves in an in-person meeting well enough. You'd be better off with a phone call. But I have a feeling that's not you. If you're creating mock-ups of packaging and stuff, I, I think you'll do fine. Um, Matt Yontz said, I am aware of Stephen's advice to go with um, a provisional before submitting. What advice in a situation in which a utility patent has been applied for but rejected prior to submitting to companies? Okay. Well, first off, I'm a little confused how your utility patent was rejected. Um, I could guarantee any of you 100% of the time that we could get you a patent on anything. So now, now, now you guys are paying attention, right? So if your attorney throws in some claims that are weak enough, if it's so specific, 
the patent office will grant it to you. It won't protect much of anything, but it will grant you on a very, oh, a hinge is working just this way. And just patent office will be like, well, that's so specific. Yeah, you can have that. It's not going to protect you much, but you can have it. So you can always get a patent. So I'm a little confused on um, how your utility patent was applied for but rejected because usually attorneys will put in difficult claims and they'll put some easy claims and they can always get a patent for you if a patent's important to you. So um, it was applied for and rejected, you know, and we get students doing deals all the time where um, the companies don't care about patents. So I would just move forward with the deal just because your patent didn't work out doesn't mean you can't do a licensing deal. And you could cover something in a provisional patent. I would file a provisional patent I would try to, I bet you there's some form of coverage or something that you and your attorney didn't do right. If you just put it all up in your patent attorney, you didn't say, here's what I want to protect and here's all the variation of workaround improvements. A lot of patent attorneys won't force you to do that because the inventor falsely believes like, well, you're the patent attorney. You're going to do that. Bullshit. You know, you're the one that's supposed to give them the information about what they're supposed to protect. And if you didn't do that, maybe your whole situation with your patent attorney they were a little clueless. You were clueless and it didn't work out. Maybe you tried to file this thing yourself. I don't know. And that's why it didn't work out. I see inventors try to do that. We highly advise um, inventors to file their own provisional, but um, to file a full utility, I think that's craziness. I've seen inventors pull it off and I'm always impressed, but you need experience to do that. So I would file a provisional. And if you believe the product has a solid benefit, I would still try to license it. We get students license all the time. Company file a, a student files a provisional. Company shows interest. They start to move forward. The student asks at the right point in time, you care about patents. Company's like, we don't care. We'll pay you royalties regardless. Great. So I can't say that's how it's going to work out with your particular product, but um, you know it might. So I would go for it if you think the product is a point of difference and would compete with other products in that category. Okay. Um, let's see. There was some people that I asked to type in earlier. I don't know if they did. I don't see for who it was. It was, it was somebody, but I don't see that they typed in. Anyway, we'll try to get to as many as we can here, guys. Let's see. I lost my place now because I paged up and down too quickly. Okay. That was Matt. Thank you for the question, Matt. Um, Tommy said, should I call the company or just message them on LinkedIn? Um, you should you should do both or either. If one doesn't work, you should do the other. So we teach our students to use LinkedIn, use the phone, use email, use all three techniques. A lot of our students these days really like LinkedIn because we give them templates to use and we explain how to approach companies on LinkedIn. There's a very particular approach you need to use. And then if they don't reach back out because some people just don't use LinkedIn and others do. Then they pick up the phone and call. But you should you should not give up on a company until you've reached out multiple times on LinkedIn and multiple times via phone to multiple companies for both for multiple people in the same company for both. People don't work hard enough to get to companies. They give up way too soon. That's one of the main reasons why our students are successful. And our students, even our students will try to give up. Oh, I don't know. I sent them a message twice on LinkedIn. Call them once. The coach is like, so what? Keep going. You didn't give you a no yet. And inevitably, then they get into that company a little later. People are not persistent enough. Um, uh, Michael said, could 
submitting to Mark Portney be done outside InventRight program, or is it best to do it with your coach? So Mark Portney's a guy, he has a company and he has licensed a product from one of our students and he's not um, a multinational or something, but he launches products and Stephen did a YouTube video with him. You can see it and you can send directly to him. I don't think it's any different if you did it with a coach. I think it would be smart to, if you have an event right coach, Michael, to show your presentation to your coach to make sure it's good. You know, but you can go directly to Mark. There's no reason why not to. Um, Alejandro said, hi, Andrew. When should we contact companies that sell seasonal, for example, Christmas? Um, I wouldn't analyze it, Alejandro. If you have a company that sells Christmas products, I would reach out all year long to them and they will tell you. And if you want to stay in the Christmas category, you'll start to learn when they start to like things. But every company is different. They won't all tell you the same thing. I would, with any seasonal product, I would not analyze it. I would do it any time of the year. Now, if you stay in that industry, a few might get back to you. You'll start to notice trends before this show, trade show, or this or that, certain time of the year. But I wouldn't analyze it. I would just go ahead and reach out. You don't, you know, sometimes people want to, not you, Alejandro, but sometimes people use all sorts of excuses not to reach out because they're so worried about getting like some sort of positive confirmation back. If it's important to them and they're like, we're not looking at Christmas stuff right now, two months from now, great. Reach out. They'll let you know. Um, Kevin said, when sending a sell sheet via email, should I you embed it into the email or send it as a link? No, you should attach it as a PDF. Don't attach it as a Word doc or anything besides a PDF. I've seen some people attach it as an image document like a JPEG or a PNG. If you have a link to a YouTube video in there, an unlisted YouTube video, you need to make it a PDF. If you have a JPEG or a PNG, then you can't put a link in there. So always make it a PDF, basically, is what I would always do. Um, Sam said, man, I'm burning through question and answers here. Hope you guys um, appreciate that. Um, we're making good progress. Sam said, Hello, when a company asks if you're talking to other companies, do you just say I'm under NDA, whether you have an actual have actually talked to other companies or not? Yeah, you just say, yes, of course, I'm shopping it around, but I would never say anything to another company that you had said to me or tell you anything other company has said to me. Everything is confidential. So I, I would never kiss and tell, basically. So, yes, of course, I'm shopping around, but everything is confidential that they share with me or you share with me you know, that other companies share with me. So just be honest about it and don't play them against each other. That is stupid, guys. Don't do that. Don't. I, I can't tell you how many times people go, well, you know, I'm going to play them this way. No, don't do it. It'll backfire on you almost every time. Um, is there a one time out of 100 where I might say it might make sense? Yeah, but you guys don't know when that is. I would just, as a rule, just never do it. Um Kevin said, also, is sending a letter an appropriate way to make contact with the company? If you mean a physical letter, a snail mail, no, that's archaic. An email, you can send a, an email, but it should always be with the sell sheet, but you shouldn't send the sell sheet unless you get permission. So you don't send a company a sell sheet, your marketing piece via email via or via LinkedIn without first getting permission. Totally not appropriate. You always have to get permission first, and then you send it. 
Uh, Deidre said, thank you. That was excellent clarification. Andrew, you're the best. Great. Okay. I think Deidre is the one I was going to get back to. Um, uh, uh, Holly said, hey, Andrew, do you need to be connected to a person on LinkedIn to message them or do you just send messages without being connected? Um, no, you have to be connected to them. So you have to first connect. And the approach that we teach is we teach people not to say anything in that connection. Just literally click connect. Don't write a custom message. You're making them work. That's going to work better for most people. So, uh, yeah, you got to connect with them and you got to wait for them to connect with you. And they won't always do that. And, and then when they do, then I would always wait a couple days and then send them and send them a message then asking if you can send them something because you have a product that's good for, right for their match for their product line. And then when they say yes, then you send it. So it, there's an appropriate um, way of doing it. And that's the, that's the overview of the appropriate way. Uh, don't be that wacky inventor posting stuff on LinkedIn or sending stuff unsolicited via email or on LinkedIn. Not cool. I've had a few CEOs get really mad. At, I've seen inventors get really mad at going, I didn't give you permission to send this to me. Completely inappropriate. Never reach out to us again. Um, they may have a policy or something. Don't do that. Um, to reach out to the mass permission, yeah, but don't send them marking materials without their approval. Um, thank you, Holly. Great question. Richard said, I have an item that comes in many shapes and sizes and uses and uses, but all share the same inner workings and concepts? Should I file a PP for each one? Or uh, I would just file them all in the same PPA. That's your question. But more importantly, I'm not so concerned about the PPA, Richard, and you including all those different variations in there. You need to define of as many uses and different applications. You, you might have multiple products. You might have three products, essentially, where you have three different sell sheets for different industries with different lists of companies. So that's what I'm more concerned about because the PPA really not that important compared to your marketing materials. Just to give you some perspective, people way overvalue protection and they undervalue a good pitch. Okay. Let's put it that way. Uh, Can you put patents on seeds or oats type of packaging products? Okay, so I think you're talking about food. And there are only um, two kinds of patents that inventors use 99.9999 times out of 100. But I'm going to share the third one with you. So there's a design patent, which is the way something looks, not the way something functions, and a utility patent the way something functions, okay? That's my layman terms, okay? Now, a provisional patent application is a utility patent. And then a design patent is just literally a drawing of the product. And it's the way something looks, which can be very weak. But if you're clever about it, that can offer protection too. But there's no provisional, so you need to spend the full money to get the design patent. 99 times out of 100, you're filing a utility patent. And a small percentage of the time, uh, design patent makes sense. But there is another third type of patent that's interesting called a plant patent. And so if you have a new seed or a new way of germinating a plant or something, you can get into a plant patent. So um, as Sarah's question was, can you put patents on seeds or oat type product? And maybe a plant patent be applicable to you. I've never had a student that filed a plant patent before, a patent on plants. 
but it does exist. So um, you might look into that. Um, Richard said, how long does the webinar last? Well, about as long as this. It's an hour. So um, if you could tolerate listening to me for an hour, Richard, uh, hopefully uh, you'll you'll enjoy that webinar, which will be an hour. Um, uh, Ethan said, can I join the webinar thing if I'm still in high school? Absolutely, Ethan. We've had InventRight students that were high school students. Um, we also have a program called Invent Yes that is free for uh, grade school, middle school, and high school students. So you might look about that. If you type in, I think, Invent Yes space InventRight, I think you'll come up with the website. I forget if it's inventyes.com. I don't remember. But make sure to sign up for that. That's completely free. Um, doesn't include one-on-one -on -one coaching, but there's some good videos in there for high school students. So check that out, Ethan. Um, let's see. I don't have their name. My Jolly Cat is the handle. That's a fun name. I got sick for a long time and stopped with my passion in inventing. Now I'm okay, but I can't seem to get back in inventing again. Any advice? Well, you know, I think that what I would do is I would study all the products in the space of your invention, and then I would see how your product fits in. And if, if that validates like, yeah, God damn it, my idea is good, that might really motivate you. So I would study all the products in the space of your invention and, you know, bookmark all that stuff and validate it to yourself again that, yeah, my product makes sense. Um, if you don't have a product and you want to come up with a new product, I love that. Just start studying a micro category like all the kitchen cutting boards or all barbecue spatulas or all car air fresheners. No invention and bookmark all that stuff, make notes and then come up with an invention, maybe the next day, the next week, the next month. But when you have all that visual stimulation, you bookmarked all that stuff in your browser, use Google Images to do that. You will come up with something if you're creative, you know, but spend the time to study a category. So either one of those ways will work for you. And I think they'll be very motivating. So hopefully that was helpful. Um, okay. Well, Caleb says, some companies won't accept my idea if the public, if it's not an issued patent and publicly viewable or just not publicly viewable. Is that worth presenting presenting to those companies? No, there are Caleb, that's not most companies. They're basically saying we're not open to innovation. If they expect for you to have an issued patent, or I don't know if you guys know this, but when you file a full utility patent, 18 months after you file it, it goes public, people can see it even before it gets issued, because it can take a year to three years for the patent office to get back to you to grant you whatever claims. And then the patent examiner and your patent attorney will have an argument. I call it I call office actions. I call it an argument on what claims you're going to get. So if a company has to see that, they're really not open to innovation. That is so completely archaic. Moving on. That's ridiculous. And But, you know, I get inventors that are new to this and they'll like see a company or two and then they'll They'll say to me, oh, well, companies, all companies, they want an issued patent. I'm like, what world do you live in? They're like, well, these two companies told me that. I'm like, I don't care. That's a minute percentage of companies that would actually tell you that. And so I see a lot of inventors having a very small sample size of experience and making a lot of assumptions. We've been doing this for 21 years. We have students in 65 countries. I can tell you, Caleb, that is not typical. And screw them. If they expect you to have an issued patent that they have to see, then no way. They're just, they're not really interested. When companies say that, and then you look at it, they're not licensing products anyway. 
because of the policies they set up and because they already have the wrong attitude. So you're not missing out. Don't feel like, oh, now I need to give 10 grand to my patent attorneys so they can file a patent so I can submit to this company I really want to submit to. No, they're already telling you with that policy, they don't want your ideas, basically. That's what they're saying. And there are some big companies like, like 3M and other companies like that, but they suck. They're not going to license from you anyway. I don't mind publicly saying that. Um, that's my personal opinion. Um, let's see. Uh, Geo said any pump volume below 10B is a dead cat. A healthy pump is 40B. So put your money here for the real pumping. I have no idea what the heck you're talking about, Leo. I should have read it before. I don't know what you're talking about, Leo, but it sounds interesting. Um, Will said, I'm talking with a company at the moment. A bunch of you are doing that. So good on you guys for reaching out to companies. I'm talking with a company at the moment. I don't know if some of you are just InventRight students already and you're just enjoying my, joining my public live chat too. Um, I'm talking with a company at the moment and the person I've been in contact with has sent it to their team for review. Could you provide what happens typically during the review? No, I can't. And you should have asked them that. So you should have said, what does the review process involve? And there's anything you need from me. And you can still do that, Will. What does the review process involve? When should I expect to hear back? And is there anything you need from me? Okay. That's what you should say. And every company will give you a different answer. So um, this whole like, oh, every company acts the same or this black and white answer. We give black and white answers that happen most of the time, but every company is different. So my business partner, other co-founder did a book, How to Become a Professional Inventor, and he interviewed 30 companies. And what you learn from that book is no two companies are the same. They all have different attitudes. Some companies are like, you know, we'd really prefer just a slight variation because we're kind of risk adverse. We don't want to do anything mind blowing with the new product. And other ones are like, if it's not mind blowing, we don't want it. And then they have different policies for what they like to see. It's it's all different, guys. But um, a lot of the rules that we teach work most of the time. Sometimes we'll get an event rights student that's been a fan watching our YouTube shows for a while. And this doesn't happen often, but I and then they'll tell their coach, well, no, 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 no. Andrew said, or Steven said on a YouTube video, blah, blah, blah. And the coach is like, I know, but for your product, this is applicable. And they actually have to, they'll put them over to me and I'll talk to them and they just don't believe it. I need to hear from Andrew. And I'm like, your coach is right. On your products, a little bit different here. Yeah, generally that's true, but for your product, this is the way to do it. And the poor coach is like, I said the same thing. They didn't listen to me. But they wanted to hear Andrew say it or Steven say it, you know, because they heard us say it on a YouTube show. But we don't know what your product is on a YouTube show. So we can't specifically say because you don't have a coach, you know. So um, let's see what we got going next year. Oh, Derek. Derek said, my in-person meeting went great. It lasted about two and a half hours and they took me out to lunch. Wow. Okay. But guys, this is what the company wanted to do with Derek. I wouldn't try to get a company to do this basically ever, but if they want to, and you're within 50 miles of them, I've had students who are within hundred miles. I'm like, no, nope, don't go out. Not worth the time, right? People won't be there. But that's great. It worked out for you, Derek. But how often is a company going to be that close to you? To think you're going to accomplish more 
and you're going to fly out and meet with them. No, but it sounds like it worked fine with Derek. So there's always exceptions. That's fantastic. And they got to know you. They liked you at two and a half hour meeting with lunch. Very few people in companies have that kind of time. It almost makes me kind of worried that they have that much time, Derek. People that are really movers and shakers, they don't have time for that. Um, but it sounds like it worked fine. So it worked out fine for you. So no big deal. Um, Matt said, hi, Andrew. Thank you for this video every Monday. Very helpful. Are you related to the scrub daddy guy? I get that often. No, I'm not. I don't think his last name, I think it's K-R-A-U-S-E. And my last name is K-R-A-U-S-S. I think the S-E is a more common English spelling of Kraus, or if they were German immigrants to U.S. and then they changed it um, to a more of a U.S. spelling. But my dad came over here when he was 24 from Germany, so I got the German spelling. Um, uh, and I do, I do have, even though I grew up in California, I do have a little bit of German culture in me because my dad was from Germany. I'm a first-generation American on my dad's side and second on my mom's side, but her folks... Her parents were from Germany too, but actually her dad was from um, Wales. So I got a little Welsh in me as well, but, um, but I am, I'm, I'm the son of a German immigrant and I, I really believe in America and I believe in entrepreneurship and I have to give my dad a lot of credit. I saw him being an entrepreneur and, um, and I admired that and, um, and I wanted to be too. So uh, let's see. Uh, let's see. Uh, Joel said, what happened to the design studio you guys had? We still have the design studio. We design cell sheets and virtual prototypes, line drawings for our students. But also if you go on our website and you click on design, we still have some packages you can buy separately from our coaching program. I think for the most part, it makes sense to do the whole coaching program because it's included, but it's still there. You can check that out, Joel. Um, Noobson said, Andrew, got a meeting with you tomorrow. Me. Okay, cool. That's cool. Question, what is the toughest part of trying to license a product to multiple companies without giving up exclusive rights? So let me confirm I got that meeting with you tomorrow. See if you're on my schedule. Your name. I don't know what your name is because you just got a handle. So I can't really check that. But I believe you. If you're on my calendar, that's good. Um, so first off, um, Noobsense is your noobsense, noob sauce, noob sauce TV. Okay, that's your handle, or your other handle is Dr. P. So, yeah, if you're Patrick, yeah, I see you on my calendar tomorrow. Um, so the answer is a lot of inventors are under a misperception that if they license to five companies, they'll make more money. It's not going to happen if a, one company wants an exclusive and the other companies are going to be selling the exact same place, the exact same thing that makes no sense. You're not going to do that. And if it's a really big company and they're going to sell 20,000, 50,000, 200,000 million units, it depends on the product. It depends. Don't be greedy. But if you got a different version of the product, it's for a different distribution channel, it's for a different geography, or it's for a different industry. And as long as they're not stepping on each other's toes, you can definitely license um, do multiple licenses, but without looking at the product. And tomorrow I'll let you know, I'll take a look at your product. If you want to send it to me, um, if not, you know, you can call the main number and we'll send you an NDA if you want to send it to me. And I'll tell you if you can license that to multiple or if it just makes more sense to license it to one company. 
I'll be very honest with you. I can tell within 10 seconds usually. Um, uh, okay. Uh, Matt also asked if, oh, no, that was the uh, same question, if I'm related to the scrub daddy guy. The answer is no. Um, Alex says, can you suggest any resources for people who want to build their own prototypes, in particular plastic molding? Um, so, Alex, the question is, you know, we teach people to license their products. So you're not selling your prototype. You're not selling your patent. You're selling the benefit of your idea. And you can do that with a marketing piece in a sell sheet or a video. So, um, but that doesn't mean that sometimes it doesn't make sense to mess around with a prototype. Sometimes you can make uh, your own prototype using silicone mold making, and you can do that in your kitchen countertop. And there are some, if you just say silicone mold making for inventors or for prototypes, you can find some websites that um, specialize, not, I'm not talking about vendors, but they just sell you a little kit with the stuff you make. And you could actually mold something out of clay, then make the mold, and then you get the mold out of silicone, then you inject the plastic and you can make a few. Um, God, don't go through that if you can just cannibalize an existing product. Uh, most of the time you can cannibalize an existing product. And if you're licensing, which is what we're all about here. So if you're like, oh no, I don't want to license for royalties. I want to make this sell myself. You're in the wrong place. So you got to decide if you want to license. So if you want to license, I would say most of the time it doesn't make sense to um, do plastic molding for your product, you're more often going to um, going to cannibalize something that exists. But I can't say without looking at your product. Um, let's see. we got a few minutes left. What about changing the color or changing the sound of something? I don't know. I, I, without looking at the product doc, I can't say if that would be licensable. I have no idea. Um, I don't know. doesn't sound like it on the surface, pun, pun intended. But but. It might make sense. Just changing the color of something, that's probably not an invention. Um, but I can't say without looking at a product. Um, uh, Saki said, uh, hi, Andrew, from your experience, what's the hardest industry to license to? I'm currently in the sporting good industry, sportwear and fitness equipment. I just talked to a guy that's in sportwear and fitness. That's a great category. I would say sportwear and fitness isn't as easy as like kitchen gadgets or home storage organization. But it's definitely, it's only a little bit harder. I'd say it's a perfectly good category. Um, brutal category is packaging that our other co-founder is in. So if it's a package that like a new toothpaste tube or something like that, it's selling in bazillions of units. If you don't have a lockdown understanding of how you're going to make this and intellectual property patents around it, they will try to figure out a way around you. So they're a brutal industry with packaging. We know how to work with packaging companies, but I wouldn't recommend that for a first project. If you have a packaging product, I'd work on something similar than come back to it. But we've helped students work on a packaging product because I let them know, I explain the difficulty, but I also explain we're perfectly set up to do that. I have two coaches that are really good at that. Um, oh, okay. Ethan said he took advantage. He's in high school of the Invent Yes program. That's fantastic, Ethan. I'm glad that that's a program we have for high school students, middle school and grade school students. They can go in there and watch some videos on uh, licensing and it's free. It doesn't include coaching, but it's free. Um, so, uh, Adrian said, hi, Andrew. I'm curious where people get their energy from when they get the lull after the initial reach out. Having just won four awards, 
at the British Invention Show, should I now update them? Um, no, so I'm just going to give you my opinion, Adrian. Don't be afraid, afraid, uh, offended by this, but you winning um, awards at some invention show means absolutely nothing. It means nothing. I wouldn't even mention it to potential licensees. I would do a good marketing piece that they're going to be intrigued by. And, you know, sitting around waiting for companies to respond to you, for one, your list of companies probably isn't big enough. And I would reach out to more companies. And if you don't have more, make a list of more. If you're only reaching out to two or three, like that person said earlier, you got to be reaching out to 20 or 30. That'll help quell your anxiety about some waiting a while to get back to you. And then when you reach out to all 30, put it in a rotation where every Monday you're kind of reaching out again. I'm not saying you reach out every week, but you're reaching out to ones that you've waited a while. And then once you've got that in play, then we'll start working on another project. So my answer is work on more projects and more companies for each project. And then you're not going to be anxious when you only reach out to two or three companies like that's taking forever to get back to you because that's part of the licensing game. So that's how you're going to deal with that anxiety. I've guided many of our students to do that. That will help you tremendously. So, but it's a great question, Adrian. I love that question. Um, uh, super, super wavies. Uh, as what your handle is. P.S. Any advice on pharmaceutical industry? Um, I don't know. I don't know what you mean by pharmaceutical industry or what type of product you have. Pharmaceutical industry is going to be more difficult to license to without a doubt. They, it's not an industry you're going to license to without patents. Now, it could be pending, a pending provisional, but so you got to have lockdown patentability and it's going to be harder, but I would need more definition and don't publicly share anything on this stream, um, you know, about your invention. Um, Michael said, hi, Andrew. Uh, hi, and hi, all. I have a patent on in Europe and selling something in Europe. Does somebody abroad, abor abroad EU produce it? It's obvious for me that, yes, you can you can he selling it also on EU territory, my territory. Okay. Well, Michael, proofread a little bit more because the way you wrote it's very confusing. So he has a patent in Europe and he's selling in Europe. Does someone abroad outside of the EU can produce it? It's obvious for me. Yeah, you can work on licensing that. I guess that's your question. Absolutely. If you've been selling it in the EU and and you have a patent, and could you then license it to a U.S. company or European company that's big in the U.S.? Yes. I, I'm not really sure, but but he can sell it also in the EU territory, my territory. It's whatever you negotiate, Michael. There's whatever you negotiate. If you want to give him the EU territory, EU territory, great. If you're like, no, I want to retain that, he's like, oh, yeah, we're good with U.S. and Canada. Whatever you can negotiate. So thank you. Took me a while to figure out your question, but I think I got it. Um Uh, do you have a copy of a sample sell sheet to send to companies? Brittany said that. Um, you know, I don't know. We did some YouTube videos where we just looked at a few sell sheets. I don't think they were the greatest examples, but you could go on our YouTube show, go to our InventRight TV channel, then search just on the channel and type in sell sheet. And you'll see a bunch of different videos where we're showing them. I don't think the sample, we, I think we use some bad ones on ex, for ex, as examples, but that should help you. Uh, Caleb said, uh, oh, he answered his question. It was uh, one of the largest tool companies in the world. Okay. Uh, 
Alex said, thanks for your response. I've signed an NDA a couple months ago with a crude mock-up and illustrations and thought I should go further. Um, I forget what Alex's prior question was here. Let's see. I don't see the other one. All right. Um, Martin said, it doesn't matter. We're coming to the end. What are we at the end of the hour? Martin, I have a patent pending. My lawyer stopped doing my kind of patent. Can you help? Okay. Well, Martin, were you the guy that did plant patents? You had a plant patent? Let's see. Yeah. that You want to, if you have a plant patent, where it's a patent just for plants. I've literally never had a student that did one. Maybe I had one or two over 21 years, but you want to find an attorney that's just doing plant patents. Okay. And so if you just look up, what I would do is just go in the patent office or Google patents and look up patents on plants and then see who the attorney was. If you're like, wow, this looks good, then reach out to that attorney. That's what I would do because that is a specialty. Uh We have a person, hi, how much time is a, would a business plan take? You don't need a business plan when you're licensing. You need a licensing plan. And if you follow our book, One Simple Idea, and watch our YouTube videos, I can't even pronounce this name, Belhuchi Amina. Um, if, you, if you follow our videos and read our book, One Simple Idea, it's going to give you the plan to license. You do not need a business plan when you're licensing, complete and utter waste of time. And you definitely don't want to be sending that to potential licensees. That's just going to be confusing as all hell. Uh, so, Richard, what you said, what tools are needed in order to take our course with our coaching? Nothing. We will look at your product and coach will start guiding you from day one. And, um, you know, we, we have we do get questions about getting certified. And so I know our new learning management system, which may take months or even six months to get up and running, has this little certificate that you get at the end. And so if you joined and you decided that was important to you, we could make one for you. I don't think it matters when you're, you're the certificate you get is you're acting professional. So your sell sheets look good. Companies think you're professional. They could care less about a certificate. Companies don't care. If you say you're certified by invent, right? They're like, why do we care? Just send us your sell sheet that makes sense. And we'll tell you if we're interested in the product. So I don't think it means anything. I don't think it matters. I think the way you present yourself when a coach guides you to do and say everything right, that is valuable and a certificate who cares but we've had people ask that and we are gonna do that and um so if you join we could we could get you one um okay okay yeah and then we had a person a super wave wave wavza i can't pronounce that so you said what's the best way for somebody in the uk to get in touch with yourself so go to our website, inventright.com, inventright.com. Click on contact us, book a call. If you page down a little bit, there's a booking link and book a call and you'll see all our avail our advisors available times in your time zone. You don't need to worry about the time difference and they will call you at the time you book. And that's the easiest way for any of you to reach out to us. Um, okay. All right, so I want to remind you guys, page up in the chat, make sure to sign up for a webinar. It's coming up this Thursday and it will send you up for every every month for the entire year. It's totally free. Um, and we're going to go over step one. So make sure to check that out. Sign up for that, okay? 
Um, there's also a ton of free resources on our website. If you go to inventright.com and you click on free resources at the top, I would check that out too. Before I end the thing completely, I'll go off video. I'll find that link and I'll put that in the chat too. And I want to ask you guys a favor again. If you could click on subscribe, if you're already subscribed, don't click on unsubscribe. Click on subscribe, click on the, the little bell next to it so you get notified when we have new videos coming out. And then watch a bunch of our videos and 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 click thumbs up and engage and, and, and ask questions. And I remind you guys to take care, keep inventing, and we'll catch up with you guys next time. See you. Bye.